0: How many of you have seen that clip on YouTube? It was posted in the last couple of weeks or saw it on Good Morning America uh, this week when it was on there. I, I love that clip and I love uh, the exasperation on the dad's face. Uh, it's such a dad thing. And then um, I love especially the little boy running around in his underwear. You know, that's a boy thing. If you're a parent of boys, you've seen that before. But we're finishing up this series today. We've called Teach Your Children. And parents, what you do as a parent matters. That's what we said for three weeks. It's, it's one of the most important things you do is teaching and raising your children. And uh, it's, we also said it's one of the hardest things that you do. You know, as parents, the, one of the hardest jobs we have is to raise our kids, to teach them the things they should know. What we said is from week one that the goal in parenting comes from a man named Solomon. Uh, and he wrote in Proverbs two six. he wrote this. It says, teach children how they should live and they'll remember it all their life. And no matter what you believe about God, no matter what you believe about Jesus, or if you have a relationship with him or not, our most important thing is to teach children how they should live. But there's more, we've said. In week one, we said if you're you're a Christian, the most important thing you can do as a parent is to teach your children to love the Lord. And so that's what we've been talking about. Now, that's certainly true if you're a parent, right? If you're a parent, that's the most important thing. But it's also true like if you're an aunt or an uncle, And maybe you've got some little kids running around, or or you're a grandma or a grandpa, or maybe you're just a neighbor that has kids that run through your yard every once in a while, Uh, or maybe you're a teacher. And so you've got kids, if you're a Christian, these little kids all around you look to you for wisdom and guidance, and so you can provide that. Now, if you were here last week, my wife and I were up here, and we talked about some of the gifts that moms and dads can give to your children. I thought she did a fabulous job for somebody who didn't want to be up here on stage. Uh, She was incredible. She always is. And and so today, though, we're going to wrap up by talking about how you can see your home uh, as your primary place for spiritual development. You know, we've said this uh, around here for a long time, that it's not our job as a church to teach your kids about Jesus, although we'll do that for the one hour a week we have them. Um, But... Your job as a parent is to do that. And the primary place for spiritual development for your kids is not so much here at the church, but it's at your house. But we also want to talk about how the culture you create in your family can help make a difference for your kids and for your family, but also for the people around you. Like all of your neighbors can be affected by the culture you create in your home. And you can have influence on the people who are in your sphere of influence. And and so to look at how to do that, I want to talk to you about something spoken by a man named Joshua. Uh, Joshua's story is told in the book of Joshua, which is in the Old Testament. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you might turn it there to the book of Joshua. But before we look at that, uh, I want to give you some background on who Joshua was. Okay? Joshua was the leader of Israel. Now, if you're familiar at all with the history of Israel, Joshua came right after Moses. All right? And he was preparing as a leader to lead the nation of Israel... Into the land of Canaan, now this was a land that God had promised to the nation of Israel many, many, many generations before Joshua came around, and Joshua uh, gets to Canaan and he looks all around, and what he sees uh, is sinfulness. He, he sees debauchery, he sees uh, people living their own way, uh, following other gods. He sees a very promiscuous culture, okay a very permissive culture. Does that sound familiar to anybody? <laughs> I wonder. Just as Moses had previously commanded, Joshua was preparing the people to enter this land and live for God. So they're going to go into this land that has a culture that worships other gods, a culture that is very permissive in the things it allows us to do, and they're going to try to live a life that is set apart, a life that, where they're serving God. They would be different. Uh, they would serve the Lord. They would make much of his name and do everything for his glory. Now for Joshua... This had to be overwhelming, okay? I mean, he had responsibility for this entire nation. Now, many scholars believe that there may have been as many as 2 million people living in the nation of Israel at this time, and Joshua was responsible for all of them. So it'd be like the governor of a pretty good-sized state, right? Uh, And so uh, God had called them to go into this very ungodly culture and live a very godly life, and you know that Joshua had to feel the weight of that. And for Joshua, it must have felt much like it feels for Christians today. You know, look at our culture today. If you're a Christian, you can't help but look at some of the things that happen in our culture, some of the, the laws and some of the court decisions, some of the news stories, some of our kids, what happens at our kids' schools, and you can't help but think, maybe we're going the wrong way. You ever look at that and look at the culture and think, I think we might be headed the wrong direction. But I want you to see what Joshua saw. All right, because in the midst of this, somewhere in the midst of this, he realized that his responsibility, Joshua's responsibility as the leader of Israel was not just to the people of Israel. It was, yes, but it was first and foremost to his family. You know, that Joshua had responsibility for his people, but he knew that the way he led his family was going to make all the difference. His family came first, his career second. And so as a leader... Joshua knew what we've been talking about for the last three weeks, that he had to model the way for people and let others see the way that he lived and that his family lived. And so at a critical moment in his leadership, near the end of his life, knowing all that he had knew, all that he had learned, he looked back at everything that he had accomplished in his life. He looked back at everything that he had learned. And Joshua stood in front of all of Israel and he made this statement. Joshua 24, 14 is where we're going to go. It says, Now fear the Lord. And serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And then he says this in verse 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites. And so he says this. He says, all of you people of Israel, okay, we're going into this place and you have a decision to make. You can fit in with the culture that we're about to enter. That's okay. That's an acceptable way for you to live your life. It's not the way that I'm going to choose to live my life. You're going to see. He says, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. She says, everybody has a decision to make about how they're going to live. And it's going to be a temptation for you as you enter this very permissive culture to get caught up in the culture. And if you want to do that, that's your decision. But he says, Joshua says, as for me and my household, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And what I want you to see today is as God did through Joshua and his family, he can do that in your family too. You know, and so what we're going to talk about today, we've, we're in this series that we're, where we've been talking about parenting, mostly about parenting, mostly to parents. But a lot of what we're going to talk about today applies whether you're a parent or not. It applies if you're single, it applies if you're a married couple, because we're going to talk about how to have a, make a difference in the people that are all around you. And Joshua led his family, and the way he led his family, and the way he prioritized his decisions, and the, it made all the difference for each other in their family, but also for the people all around them. And so as parents, we lead our families, the way we lead our families and the culture that we work to establish in our house is going to make all the difference for our kids, but also for the people all around us. We, we have an opportunity okay, in this very permissive culture, some would say a very promiscuous culture, uh, to have a home that makes a difference. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. So how do we do that? How do we have a home that makes a difference? Well, in your worship program... I've given you six blanks there. Uh, I want to talk about six things. Uh, We'll we'll speed right through them, don't worry. But six things in your notes to help you build a home that makes a difference. Number one is this. You want to have a home that blesses. A home that blesses. We want to create a culture of blessing in your home. I talked a little bit about this last week. And if you were at second service, you got more than the first service. But so many people had questions about what's that mean uh, that I want to expound on this idea. When I say blessing, I'm talking about affirming the good that God has put in our kids and making sure that they know about that and what that's going to bring in the future. Uh, do you know, uh, we talk about the four most important letters in the alphabet here at Genesis Church. Do you know the four most important letters in the alphabet are I see in you. Get it? I see in Okay. I see in you is when you tell someone the good you see in them and the potential you see in them and, and, and remind them that God put that in them. So here's what I believe. God puts specific things in everybody, uh, positive things, any positive quality or trait, any ability that is good or helpful, any spiritual gift, no matter what you do to try to develop that, I believe comes from God. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above. And we can bless our children when we tell them, when we see that in them and we remind them that they have those gifts in them, and we take every opportunity to say what we see that God has put in them and the good that can come from it. You know, I see kindness in you. I see intelligence in you. I I see a heart for people. I see your artistic ability. You know, I see my good looks in you. You know, you've got to be affirming with your kids that they see those things. But no, now, don't confuse this with unnecessary praise. All right, I'm not talking about telling your kid they're awesome, everything is awesome, right? That's not what this is about when they aren't awesome at everything. I'm not talking about, you know, building up a false sense of self-esteem. I mean, I'm all for encouragement. But our goal isn't to make our kids feel good about themselves. It's about seeing God's work and potential in them. Okay, I've heard it referred to as specific praise. And so instead of saying, you're so good, say, I love your creativity. I love the way you always think outside the box. Or, you're so respectful to other kids. When I saw you say that to her, that was a very nice thing to say. I, I love that. That's going to be so important in your life. Or, um, I love how inquisitive you are. You know, the fact that you ask so many good questions is going to make you a great learner. Or, or I love the way in that situation that you used your spiritual gift to encourage that person. You know, a blessing isn't a passing statement. It's a very intense, very personal moment. And so I talked about a book last week called Champions for Life by Bill Glass and how he talks about blessing your kids. And so what I like to do is get down to their level, which used to be down here and now is more like here, okay? And, and take, your face in, take their face in your hands and look them in the eye and say, I love you. And God has put whatever, you know, I see in you the ability to dot, dot, dot. And really just bless them with that. I mean, by blessing your children, your home can make a difference uh, for your kids by being a place of blessing and affirmation. Now, Genesis 12 is a great example of, of how God wants us to bless and be blessed. And what we see is that it's not just for us. Like when you bless your children, it helps your children, it encourages your children, but it's not just for them. And so in Genesis 12, um, the Lord had said to Abram, we see this, go from your country, your people, uh, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now he's talking about, God's talking about the land of Canaan here, the land that many generations later, Joshua was taking uh, the people into. Uh, verse two, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And listen to this, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So the purpose of a blessing is not just to bless that person, but it's to bless that per- person so they can be a blessing to others. And so do, you, do the kids in your life see the good that God has put in them and that it's not just for them and for now, but it's for later and to be a blessing to others. Bless your kids by showing them what God has put in them and how they can be a blessing to others. You know, and it's like we've talked about everything else in this uh, three-week series that it's not enough to tell them you've got to model that for them. Now, this might mean you open up your home to other families or kids. And again, during uh, what we talk about today, I'm going to use my family as an example, but what I'm not trying to do is lift up my family as an example. I've said all along, we're not perfect. We're not who you should look to for ideas of how to live a godly life. But I know my examples better than I know your examples. And so I'm going to use those um, and things we've done and and what our neighbors have done. But, But we have several times opened up our home uh, to people who were in tough times, people who had uh, lost jobs or lost homes, or people who were in uh, hard marriage uh, problems, you know, for a few weeks or a few months, we've let people live with us. Now we knew, you know, that we were blessed with plenty, and uh, we had a, a, at one time we had a very large house with a lot of space we didn't use, and we wanted to use that as a blessing to others. And so was it was it disruptive for our family? Yeah, you better believe it was having another family live in our house. Uh, but was it important? Yes. Another way you can be a blessing to others is to be generous with your finances. And yes, that's about giving to the church. Sure it is. But also giving to other places, other ministries, other neighbors and families in need. You know, I've talked to you a little bit about what our family does with a giving jar where we put some money in there every, every couple weeks and our kids get to decide how to give that away. You know, Let your kids know about your finances and how much you give and why you do it. Now this means that you'll have to live differently than everybody else around you. Because right, everybody else around you, most of the people around you are all about, hey, it's your money. Spend it on whatever you want. You know, and, and they're buying new stuff, and they're trying new things, and they're going fancy places. And, but when you're blessed to be a blessing, it means that like Joshua, you're going to have to do some prioritizing. So that means when everybody's like Crystal Maybach, diamonds on your timepiece, jet planes, islands, tigers on a gold leash, you've know, you got to be willing to say, but we don't care. We aren't caught up in your love affair. Having a home that blesses will make a difference in your kids' lives and give them courage to make a difference for others. So a home that blesses. Number two is this, a home that rests. You know, our pace as a society can be so frenetic. It can be so crazy that it can actually drive us into anxiety or even into depression. I mean, it's, it's nuts. I've seen people get anxious over the fact that their kid wasn't going to make it to baseball practice one night because they were too busy. And, you know, we've we got to get them to baseball practice, then our daughter's got to get to piano lessons, and then we've got to get to yoga class, and we've got to pick up our daughter so she can go to soccer practice. And is it worth it? I mean, what message are we sending to our kids about what's important? So many of us just need to rest. And I'm not talking about, like, laying on the couch and taking a nap. I'm, I am pro-nap. I want to um, make that perfectly clear because somebody in the first service thought I was anti. I'm not anti-nap, all right? I am pro. I'm as for naps as anybody in this room, I promise you. But you know that sometimes when you take a nap, you just wake up more tired, right? You get to the dinner table at night, you're like, man, I am exhausted. What have I done today? I took a nap. Oh, <laughs> How am I so tired? I'm talking about real rest, like rest for your soul. You know, where does that come from? Well, in Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find what? You will find rest for your souls. So in some ways, rest as a family means that we come to Jesus together, that we worship together that we're here on Sunday mornings together as a family because this should be a place of rest, you know. I have so many people that will come up to me after the service, and I haven't seen them in a few weeks, and they'll say, that was so good today. And sometimes the, the, the sinful part of me just wants to say, you know, we're here every week. <laughs> it's like this all the time, you know. And it's not always great. I mean, sometimes I lay an egg, but um, it's usually pretty good. So come, come here. You know, be intentional about being in relationships with other people. That's why we're so uh, sold on connection groups here at Genesis Church because you need a place other than this where you can get together with people and talk about your struggles and and talk about things and it can be a restful place for you because you're with people who are of a like mind. You know, it means you serve together. When you rest, you can rest through serving. And that may mean serving here at church. But it may mean doing something as a family, doing something for your friends or your neighbors, finding ways to bless people around you. Maybe one way you rest is, man, have you ever just gone and helped somebody with something all day long, and you thought, I should be exhausted, but at the end of the day, you just feel so filled up because you were able to help somebody. You're know, you able to help somebody move or help them clean their house or do something that normally you wouldn't do. It can fill you up. It can give you rest. Uh, Resting means you pray together whether it's at the dinner table or maybe it's before bed at night or when you wake up in the morning or before you go to school my wife was always real intentional about when we used to drive our kids to school when she drop them off we were in the in the line to drop the kids off at school and she would pray for each of our our children before they went into the school you know you pray together you rest together you slow down you're going too fast don't don't say yes to everything you know, kids don't have to be in every activity. This is why we don't try to do 100 things as a church. You know, we know there are a lot of churches out there that give you Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. And you have Tuesday women's group and Thursday men's group and uh, Bible study on Monday night. And you've got to worship nights on Thursday night. And we just, we don't do that. We do five things and we try to do them really well. And, uh, and the rest of the time, we want you out there with your family, with your friends, in your neighborhoods, resting and making disciples. And so here's my challenge. I would love for you to schedule a day a week where you are resting, where you're, you're not doing any chores, you're not playing on your phone or your electronic devices, you leave them behind and you go out with your family. And some of you are going, that's crazy. You don't know my life. I, I don't have a day a week. And so then I'll challenge you this. How about four hours? Could For the next four weeks, could you give up four hours a week at a consistent time and consistent place, to just get away somewhere with your family. And I'm not talking about going to you know, Florida or Hawaii. I'm talking about like, getting away from your house, away from the doorbell, away from the telephone, and just spend four hours intentionally as a family resting together, doing something fun and encouraging and, and slowing down the pace. Four hours for four weeks. I promise you, it will change the way you live your life. This is gonna make you so different from the rest of the world. That people are gonna look at you and wonder, why aren't you ever at the baseball field? Why, why aren't you ever at basketball court? Why aren't you ever at dance recitals or at the gym? You know? and it's, it's what author Michael Frost calls, calls uh, living a questionable life, where, where you're so unusual in our culture that people question how you're raising your kids. They might even think you're a little crazy. Why don't you let your kids do anything? I do let my kids do things. When they look at how your family is not like, fried beyond recognition, they're going to wonder. They'll probably be intrigued about what you're doing. So number two, a home that rests. Number three, a home that has fun. Make your home a place of fun. You know, Our home is almost always open to neighbors, and um, this is not always restful for my wife and I. Her least favorite sound now is the doorbell because we have 23 kids on our street. We live on a a street uh, with two cul-de-sacs kind of put together. We've got 23 kids, and uh, we have often had most of them at our house at the same time. We want to be welcoming. Uh, for our friends and neighbors, but we also think as parents, why not be the house where all the kids hang out? You know, all the kids are going to hang out somewhere. We want that to be at our house. Uh, We take adventures together. And so that may be uh, a bike ride. You know, uh, when all the kids are sitting around yesterday, it was one of those days, all the kids are sitting around and one's on her iPod and one's on the computer watching something on TV and and we're like, we've we got to go do something. Let's go have an adventure. And so we do things like that. I, I started uh, last year riding bikes to school on Fridays with my um, then nine-year-old daughter. And that's been a tradition that continues. Every Friday we get on our bikes and we ride the, the two miles to school. And then I ride back home. And then later that afternoon I go pick her up on my bike. And um, so we do things like that. Uh, picnics. We like to do picnics. We'll probably do one today or tomorrow. Uh, scavenger hunts. Now on holidays we do scavenger hunts. So instead of making Christmas about twenty-seven gifts, you know we have three, but one of them they have to go find. And so we do scavenger hunts and things like that. Um, We've started doing something last summer. We call Sunday Thursdays, and this is where uh, we get kids together, uh, and uh, they come to our house. All the kids in our neighborhood are invited to our our house. Your kids are invited too. Uh, If you can find out where we live, you can come. Um, And they come to our house and they get a short, uh, usually very messy Bible lesson. And then they have ice cream together. And so we had as many as 16 kids in our house one time doing Sunday Thursdays. And it's just been a real blessing for our neighborhood, but it's been a blessing for us too just to see these kids come and learn about the Bible and eat ice cream together and make a huge mess. Um, Travel together. I don't have to go far, but like for our kids, any hotel that has a swimming pool, like that's vacation. You know, we could go to the uh, Super 8 Motel in Noblesville and uh, that's vacation because it has a swimming pool. And so just... Little things that where you can get away. Maybe for you, it's camping. And you just want to get outdoors. Whatever it is, you know, travel together. Establish traditions. You know, make memories that'll last. Uh, maybe around the holiday. You know, in just a couple of weeks, it's the end of school for our kids. We've got uh, seven more school days, and um, we started a tradition a few years ago where my wife and I will show up at the bus stop on the last day of school with silly string and bubbles. And as the kids get off the bus, we spray them all with silly string, and then we hand them all things of bubbles, and they blow bubbles at each other. And that's kind of a big you know, celebration. That's a tradition we started. We, we started having a camp, camp out in our backyard on the last day of school. So Thursday night, uh, next week, or Wednesday, Wednesday night, next week, the last day of school, I'll we'll have uh, maybe a dozen kids camping out in our backyard in tents because it's the last day of school. So all the kids from our neighborhood come and do that. Just establish traditions that make memories. Have a house that has fun. Okay, let's move on to number four. Did you know that there's one thing you can do as a parent that can accomplish all of the following? One, it gives your, your kids a 40% better chance of making all A's and B's in school. Two, it makes your child three times less likely to try marijuana, uh, twice less likely to smoke cigarettes, and less likely to, to, to use alcohol. Uh, it helps teenagers know that their parents are proud of them. It helps teen realize they can confide in their parents when they have serious problems. And it helps reduce your child's chance of obesity by 40%. One thing that can do all five of those things. You know what it is? Number four, it's a home that eats together. You know, Pastor Dave Stone calls it the hour of power. You know, shared meals are essential to a healthy family, both healthy physically, but healthy spiritually as well. Sharing meals together as a family can help make all the difference for your kids. You know, around the dinner table, we can teach manners. Uh, we teach respect. We, we listen to one another and talk about what's coming up. You know, we can bless our kids. We can encourage one another around the dinner table. Uh, Dr. Catherine Snow is a professor of education at Harvard Graduate School of Education, not a Christian. She followed 65 families over an eight-year period to study how those kids turned out. And she found that there was something of more value to child development than playtime, more value that, valuable than school, and more valuable than story time, the big winner was family dinner together. You know, our family we play games at the dinner table. We play uh, two truths and a lie. You know that game? So you say three things uh, about your day. Two of them are true, and one of them was a lie, and the family has to guess what the lie is. Our kids are terrible at it, so we always end up with one truth and two lies, or three lies, or you know, three truths. We don't. We never know what we're going to get, but we play it and we learn about each other's day that way. We play. Um, this, this is really corny. This is such a pastor thing to do. And we've, we've done it since before I was a pastor. But we play the thankfulness game. So you name something you're thankful uh, for that starts with an A. You know, I'm thankful for apples. And you, then the next person has to name something that starts with a B and then a C. And then, you know, you get around the table and everybody's naming things they're thankful for. And then you get to X and they're like, oh, I guess I'm thankful for xylophones again, you know, because there's just not much that starts with an X, right? And so... Um, but we play games at the table when we do that. You know? So um, we occasionally have a friend over for dinner or we'll allow our girls to go to a friend's house for dinner, but we really, really try to protect that time together as a family. Whether we're at home or at a restaurant, uh, we try to do dinner together. We know the power it has to help us have a home that makes a difference. Number five is this, a home that forgives. You know, in the, his book, uh, As for Me and My House... Walt Weingeren says the most important thing to be good at in relationships is forgiveness. When it comes to the spiritual formation of our kids, um, it's essential to develop a culture of forgiveness in our homes. Now, when we talk about creating a culture of forgiveness, you know where that starts, right? Right here. It starts with the parent. And when I say that, I'm not just talking about extending forgiveness to your kids, although that's important. I'm talking about asking for forgiveness. Like, are you good at admitting when you screw up as a parent to your kids and asking for forgiveness? Our, our Audrey is 10 years old. She's very, very smart, and uh, she is an arguer. So we swear she's going to be a lawyer when she grows up because she argues every point, um, and she knows what she's talking about. She remembers things, and so she'll say, but you said... But, but then you said, but dad, I thought you said one time, 10 years ago. um, And uh, so two weeks ago, she was really going at it. We were really going at it. She and I, she was not giving up. And I got really frustrated. I mean, I could feel my boiling point starting to rise. And I knew that I was about to yell at her. And I also knew that if I yelled, if I said something, it might not be a very nice word. And I thought it was, I remember it was the Saturday before we started the series. And I thought, I can't cuss my daughter out and then come do a parenting series on Sunday morning. (laughs) And so I had to walk away. And I walked away. And after I calmed down, I realized that I needed to go apologize. And so I went back to Audrey and said, Audrey, Daddy was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? That's how we do things in our house. We always say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And then the other person has to say, I forgive you. Because it's not enough to say, no, it's okay, or it doesn't matter. It's, I forgive you, because we want to encourage that culture of forgiveness. And so I had to do that. Are you good at asking for forgiveness? And one of the biggest complaints teenagers have, back me up on this, is that mom and dad are never wrong. Right? Do your kids know that you make mistakes? Do they know that if you make a mistake, you can, they're going to come to you? If they make a mistake, you're going to come to them and ask for forgiveness. Now, do you know how to apologize? And, and I'm talking about apologizing without the butt. all right? I'm not saying, hey, I'm sorry I did that, but you had me so frustrated. I'm sorry I did that, but you really need to realize, no, no, I'm talking about apologizing and asking for forgiveness. Will you forgive me without justifying or excusing what you did? It's a powerful thing. Secondly, are you good at forgiving your kids? It doesn't mean we overlook things or let inappropriate behavior slide, but, but practice demonstrating forgiveness when your child's messed up. And then understand, help them understand what they did was wrong. Practice forgiveness when you discipline them. Yes, I said discipline, because kids need discipline. There are always going to be consequences for a mistake, but help them understand love and forgiveness that comes with that. I mean, think about it. The very foundation of all of our relationship, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the very foundation of that relationship Is forgiveness, that God forgives. God's grace covers our mistakes and our flaws and our failures. Now, are there consequences for poor decisions? Absolutely, there are, always. But there's no judgment. There's no lingering bitterness like there is with human mistakes. For kids to learn grace, they have to experience it over and over and over again. We have to experience it over and over and over again. How much more with our children? Again, it's not about looking the other way to poor behavior, absolutely not. But we need to demonstrate forgiveness. I mean, when you think about what you're doing, demonstrating forgiveness, consider what God does for you every day. You know, how many times has He forgiven you? How long has He put up with your behavior without judging you and continues to forgive and continues to wait on you to change? Now, how does forgiveness make a difference for your kids? Well, First, it lets them know that they're loved, like that even when they screw up, they're loved. I mean, if all they see from you is rules, okay? if all they see from God is a God of rules, they're not going to be very likely to grow up and want to follow Jesus. But if they get the picture of a God of grace, a God who loves them, a God who forgives, well, we all need more of that. 1 Peter 4.8 says, love covers over a multitude of sins. That's what forgiveness does. It still acknowledges the wrong, but it takes care of the negative effects of it. You know, we, we saw that first and foremost on the cross when Christ, compelled by his love for us, for you, okay, and for me, gave up his own life so that our multitude of sins could be covered. And forgiveness is the whole backbone of Christianity. I mean, think about it. Why did Jesus have to die for us? So that we could be forgiven. We celebrate that as a church. We celebrate the fact that Jesus died for us, that he gave up his life. And we do that. One of the ways we do that is through the taking of communion. And so um, we're going to do that here in just a minute. Here's what we believe about communion at Genesis Church. If you are a believer in Christ, if you have accepted the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life, you're welcome to take that with us. You don't have to be a part of this church or any other church. Um, We've got four communion stations. There are two in the front and two in the back. And each one, you'll see a a series of cups. When you pick that up, you'll see that there are two cups. The bread is in the bottom and the juice is in the top. The bread represents the body of Christ that was broken for you. And so when you come and get that, you can take the elements back to your seat. You can pray, you can take them in your own time. But take that bread first and remember the the sacrifice Christ made to you with his body and then take the juice and remember the sacrifice Christ made to you by spilling his blood. As soon as I step down, I'm going to go open these up, and you can come up at any time and get those. Cameron's going to play a little bit behind us, um, and then I'll come up and finish. So thankful, so thankful for that gift of forgiveness through Christ. There's one more thing. There's one more thing we can do to have a home that makes a difference, and it's uh, in your worship in your worship program. It's to have a home with a mission. Number six is a home with a mission. It means you recognize that God has you where He has you for a reason. Like you're on your street, you're in that building for a reason, and so you're always looking for opportunities to serve your neighbors to. To mow their grass when you know they're out of town. To uh, bring them food when you know they've hit a hard time. To, to do what you can to help out. You know, making your yard or your house the place to hang out. You know. It's living in the front yard so that you can build relationships with your neighbors instead of living in the backyard where you can be secluded and by yourself. You know, our church's mission, Genesis Church's mission is helping people find their way back to God. Maybe that should be your mission too. You know, maybe it should be your family's mission. I mean, if you're a Christian and you're committed to teaching your children to love the Lord, one of the natural outgrowths of that is going to be reaching the people around you, reaching the neighbors around you, helping your neighbor find their way back to God, helping that parent whose child's on your son's soccer team find their way back to God. Jesus said, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. If you want to be a home that makes a difference, you need to be a worker. You need to go find those people and help them find their way back to God. You know, it's praying that God will each each use you and each each and every one of us and teach our kids how to be a light in the world. You know, a couple months ago, we handed out these and had everybody fill out this My One card. If you remember those, if you were here, we've got over 300 of these is a church that we've been praying for, and uh, we had everybody put one name on this card, one name that didn't know Jesus, that we need to you know, pray for and uh, te- you know, teach to bring to Jesus. And so I wonder how we're doing with that. You know, maybe this is a great weekend to invite that person over to, to get into their lives, to serve them in some way, to keep, continue praying for them. We've been praying for them, and we hope that you will too. You know, near the end of his life, Joshua looked at what was going on around him and he realized, you know what? I can't control what the government does. I can't control what culture says. I I could choose to just give in, but instead he said, you, all of you, choose this day who you will serve. But he said, as for me and my family, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we all have that same choice to make. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for your word and through the lesson you give us through Joshua that even thousands of years ago, there was this man who had the wisdom to say, we can't control all this stuff. We, we can't stop what goes on around us. We can't get obsessed with what our neighbors are doing or with what our city is doing or with what our country is doing. God, we've got to start first and foremost with our family. And that the best way to change things is from the inside out. So God, I just pray for each and every one of us, whether we're parents or not, that we can look at our family and our house and we can start to make some changes that give glory and honor to you, God. And as parents, we know that we don't have the power to do all this stuff on our own. Uh, We need you. We trust you to be in our parenting and in our lives and in our families and Uh, We need your wisdom and your guidance. Yes, absolutely. But more than that, God, we need your presence. And so we just trust in you that you could give us the power, the strength, the encouragement we need to be the best parents we can be, to be the best neighbors we can be, and to have a home that's a blessing to our kids and to those around us. We thank you for the lessons you've given us through your word today. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.